Hang in there, idiot. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Smiley Show. Pleasure to be joined by Michael Neff. He is the owner and founder of the Gear System. And Michael, I've I've been lucky enough to be able to use this system a couple different times, and as recently as a couple weeks ago. And uh, Michael, we met there. But I want you to just kind of walk the listener and the viewer right now. What is the Gear System? If I looked it up in the dictionary and I read the word gears, what exactly is gears? So first off, Smiley, I'm honored to be on your show and thank you so much for this chance. And you get, you're just awesome, dude. So I really, totally, <laughs> thank you, my man. Awesome. You're great too. Um, so gear stands for golf evaluation and research system. So it is a optical motion capture system where you, you have eight to 10 cameras that surround the player and we put these reflective markers all over your body in the golf club. And the goal here is to be able to measure your, to do a swing analysis, basically, where we can see how your body's moving, how the club's moving. And um, we're very accurate. We're tracking these markers to 0.2 millimeters, which is the thickness of a piece of paper. And um, so gears is a very high-end accurate system that's the only system that tracks the body and the entire club at the same time. And um, yeah, so that's probably how I would define it. Maybe, maybe, or like if 2D would be an X-ray or like a video would be an X-ray, a 3D, this is a 3D system. It's kind of more like an MRI, if you will. So we can kind of see more under the hood and get more data. Um, but the goal of it is it to, to get as much research grade data as possible to help us analyze you know, any golfer from a beginner to a touring professional. To start a system like this, you had to have been in the game of golf. This isn't something you just randomly sitting at a cubicle and think, you know what, I'm going to create this, the best product in golf to measure uh, a golfer's body and their club. Like you just don't get into this. What were you doing before gears? Yeah. So I'm a PGA member. Um, and I've been a PGA member for about 30 years now. And um, I won this award. I, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I won this award uh, early on in my career as a golf professional. I sold the most Titleist product in the state of Oregon. And I wasn't even trying, but the Titleist rep showed up and he gave me this cool plaque of like a, a one iron. And <laughs> like, I just got like, hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool, you know? So I started like paying really close attention to it. I bought a video camera. I bought the very first A-Star system. I took a loan from my dad for 20,000 bucks. My salary was 20,000 bucks. And um, oh, wow. literally it was a two camera, horrible quality camera system. And it was 20 grand, but I was one of the first guys to buy that. So I really was like, I just wanted to know, I, I don't know, for some reason, my mind, the way it works, I just wanted to know why, why stuff mm -hmm. mattered. Like if, you know, if it cut, why did it cut? If it drew, you know, what, I just wanted to know why. So um, one of my close friends left uh, that was working at Nike at the time in Portland, uh, got a job at TaylorMade when, when Adidas bought TaylorMade. And he's like, dude, you got to come down here and meet our R&D team. And so I went down to TaylorMade and they had in, uh, they created a system called the MAT system, which is basically mm. a much 
more archaic version of the gear system. And I fell in love with it. I immediately saw it as an instruction tool. TaylorMade really is not interested in instruction. They just wanted to use it as a, a teaching aid or a, a fitting tool, which it did a very good job of. But um, that's kind of how I got into it. So I became basically the, uh, the 3D guy for TaylorMade. And I installed and trained about 100 of those systems. And but there, there was a lot of problems with that system. Number one, the frame rate was way too low to be able to capture what the shaft was doing and to be able to get anything over about 105 miles per hour. So I needed more frame rate. I needed higher resolution. So I went to OptiTrack and in Portland, they're the number one optical motion capture company in the world. And we created gears and we got a really fast camera. We got, and I just, Basically, that's that's how the journey started. I, I started kind of with TaylorMade, and and it kind of graduated into creating our own thing, and and it's been great. Well, we're going to get into it here with a couple of pros golf swings here uh, a little yeah. later in this episode. But you have so many captures of PGA Tour players and um, LPGA Tour players, really you know, the best, some of the best in the world, and you have it at your disposal. What they do and what makes them great. What was or who was the first pro that was like the, the game breaker for you guys to get them on the gear system? Was it a was it the player reaching out or was it the coach saying, hey, like this, my guy's in a rut or we just want to measure his data because he's hitting it really well. And we, we want to see why he's so good so we can look back at it if he ever gets in a rut. That's a great question. Um, so we put a lot of tour players on the mat system um, at TaylorMade. So Dustin Johnson, Mike Weir you know, uh, uh, John Rahm and when he was with TaylorMade. And so we'd kind of, you know, it was kind of out, that technology was out there a little bit, but it just, you know, wasn't, it wasn't really what it needed to be. When we first, the first person I, and I had met Mike Weir, Mike Weir was pretty much the first pro that I was capturing and we're friends from back way back when, and, um, then he introduced me to Nick Price, and I put Nick Price on, and then Ian Woosnam. Wow. And so it was kind of some of these older guys, which I learned so much from. You know, I'm like, is, so, and then and then TaylorMade started going, and we got Rom and and Rory and DJ and um, Jason Day and Justin Justin Rose and. So basically, that's kind of how I got started. But Mike Weir was our first, and he kind of was a great blabbermouth for me. And um, he's like, you guys got to check this out. It's really good. And then it just kind of snowballed um, word of mouth. We have now over 500 touring professionals on gears worldwide. Uh, we have more data on touring professionals on from LPGA to senior PGA to Corn Ferry to PGA Tour. Uh, body and club than anybody in the world. And that's been huge. Like, I mean, I have strapped myself to an airplane for the last eight years, mostly just capturing, getting data, if you, for lack of a better word. I mean, just that data is really helpful because it, you know, you kind of find out what the best players do and what the amateurs do and what the difference is. And so that's kind of how that started. Mike Weir was kind of our first guy and then, and then with the gear system, and then it just kind of steamrolled from there. That's amazing. And 
And if you're listening now or watching and you're wondering, you know, well, we have 500 swings. Are we going to look at them all? Because I know there's plenty nope. of amateurs and golfers out there. We're not going to look at them all. We're going to look at uh, four swings today. We're going to look at myself swing. Uh, we're going to look at Rory McIlroy's swing, Cam Smith and Billy Horschel's. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. But uh, for those that are, are wondering, is, is this just access for tour players or can an amateur go and use this gear system throughout the United States? So we have about 175 systems globally, which is not a ton, but like TaylorMade has 17 gear systems. So they have all, at all mm. their major hubs, the kingdoms, you know, one in San Diego, one in, in Georgia. Um, but if you go to our website, gearsports.com, there's a locations tab and you can just go to, there's a map of the world and just, Wherever you're at, you click on that, and it'll give you an idea where the systems are. Um, and, you know, it, so we, we have about 70 here in the States um, and about, a little, you know, about 100 outside the States, roughly. And, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really thin. So it's not – it's a boutique product, Smiley. It's not like – right. we're never going to sell thousands of these units. It's not a – it's not a launch monitor. We're not tracking the ball. Um, all of our customers use TrackMan or FlightScope or Quad mm -hmm. yep. to get all their ball data. And um, but we're, we're those companies use us to kind of validate what the club's doing, and we're really you know we're tracking it throughout the whole swing, shaft, club head, center of mass. So, it, you know, that, that really helps us out with that. But anybody that wants to get on gears can. You just have to go to our website and look at the locations tab. Well, that's awesome. And I know it's helped me. I was a player that had all the information in the world, but you really couldn't break it down on a video. It, it was very confusing. I know as a player, I, I couldn't really figure out what was going on. I know this gears system has helped me, had coaches help me uh, just by sorting through the data. But for all of you that now know the full explanation of gears, it is officially time to dig in in this next section of the show. Michael, you're going to take us through some 3D swing models. We'll start with mine and then we'll move to some of the best players on tour. And gears, gears is all, obviously it's a it's a visual platform. So you can, of course continue to listen to this discussion on the podcast but the best way to consume this will be on our youtube page so if you go to the youtube and search for our handle at the smiley show you'll find us there and michael uh let's get into it i'm i couldn't be more excited to kind of sort through some of these some of these swings especially mine because a lot of people yeah. are like well why'd you quit it's like well we'll, uh, we'll show you why <laughs> but there's some I'm good stuff too, too. like <laughs> <laughs> all righty let's let's get into it all right michael the time is now let's break down my golf swing should be fun to look at all these numbers yeah so you know smiley one of the main reasons i so you you got on gears the first time at scotty hamilton's place scotty's been a very very strong ambassador of ours and i really respect him a lot and his his eye and we work a lot together, um, but one of the things I I actually really like your golf swing, and so the reason I really wanted to reach out to you is because I I kind of was wondering like, you know, what did you experience? What did you kind of like 
get out of this because I think there's a lot of really good things that you do. Um, but basically, this is this is a little from down the line. This is what your swing looks like. If we look at that face on. You kind of we can look at it here. So that's so those little, it, those it little allows lines. us to really it allows us to those, really kind of this visual tool allows us to kind of look at this swing. Again, we're tracking you know all these body joints along with the wrists and the grip and the shaft and the club head and where the ball touches on the face. All this data here. So you know one of the things. So a little bit like when when I when I like. This is kind of what I, I saw a little bit was the handle working out a little bit here. This is the backswing. This is the downswing. So the handle kind of works a little bit um, in here. It starts to push out a little bit. And if we look at your numbers here, the path was a little left. The angle of attack is almost nine degrees down. And so it's just kind of a steeper a steeper blow at it. Um, what club is this? Is this, a, this is this is an eight iron, iron that we had? It's seven seven iron. iron. Okay. Oh, so an, an angle of attack of nine is is a little on the steep side, one might say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's your complaint has been that kind of start left kind of face closed pull a little bit, right? Yeah, short short right misses and a face pull to the left, especially with irons. Right. Right. So one of the things you do really well is you turn really well. Um, um, if we look at your pelvis turn, you actually have more turn at impact than you do at the top of your swing. So that's a common thing that we see among all players. Um, the other thing that we see is rib cage turn. So by the time you get to this shaft parallel, you're right in that you know, your this is your rib cage. So at shaft parallel or last parallel, your rib cage basically is zero. And then we take you to impact, your rib cage turns about 25 degrees. So literally, like from from shaft parallel to impact, your rib cage turns 25 degrees, which is awesome. And then if you'll notice here, this is your tilt or what we would call side bend. So you'll notice here that these numbers match each other, and that's what pretty much everybody on tour does. They match the turns and the side bends. If we had too much tilt here, not enough turn, you would be kind of in that stuck position. So your hips are turning well, your torso is turning well. Um, but to me, that club here is just, a, what I saw was the club's just a little bit, you know, steep there. And I wouldn't, wouldn't mind getting that. So the, the problem with steep, like, so you can hit, you can hit steep cuts, but really nobody that that we've none of the good players that we've captured, none of the touring professionals really hit steep draws, if if you will. So <laughs> like uh, I, I could I could it, I could speak hard. from experience. <laughs> yeah. So if you wanted to kind of move the ball around, like make, we'll show you Rory here in a little bit. So but let's let's give him an he's kind of kind of unfair to compare anyone to him, but you know let's say you wanted to get this. You wanted to be able to shallow the club a little bit and get a little less angle of attack and get your 
get the ball to launch a little higher, be able to hit it a little right to left or left to right, kind of move it around a little bit. We would want to see this shaft a little more. So there's a difference between shallowing and lowering. And you're going to hear me say that a lot. And there's this big trend on, hey, you got to shallow the shaft. Well, there's a lowering piece to this as well. But that club just gets kind of steep late. And I think that's where we're that's where you're kind of getting a little bit of these kind of poles or cut, you know, overcuts or thin cuts or kind of straight poles. It's just coming in a little steep. So this was the first swing we took. Uh, when, when you recently came and saw me a couple of weeks ago, is this, is yeah. this the first swing? Okay. Yep. So what I asked you to do was to feel like the hands got a little bit deeper and I want, I want this hand path basically to be a little closer, get the handle a little bit deeper here. So in a, like in a perfect world, we'd have your hands a little bit deeper here and the club would be a little bit more shallow because mm -hmm. really we want to just get we would like to get this angle of attack more probably around seven or six or seven, somewhere in there without sacrificing path, you know, club path. Right. So right. Um, I had you feel this. I don't know if you remember See, this. This is the cool thing about this is that you can, you can pull up a, my, one of my first swings I had, and then you make an adjustment and then you could see the differences, the yellow being, the first swing and then the blue being the second swing. So this is just a, a unique thing of, of how this game is millimeters, Michael, when you tell me to make a change and this is where you kind of see it here. Now to you, the thing that's worth noting here was that to you, this felt like your handle was like over, you know, way behind. Yes. <laughs> and literally it moved about an inch, you know, that's before and after. But to you, it felt like a freaking mile. Yes. So the benefit of this, Smiley, was we by 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 making this move, we were able to do a couple of things. Number one, the angle of attack went from nine to seven and a half, and we did that without changing the club path or with, with actually getting a little more path. I mean, you know, so normally when you hit up on it more, the path goes left, but because we lowered it and shallowed it, so it's lowering and shallowing at the same time we were able to kind of get this shot here and this was just the perfect cut. You were super happy with this. And, um, but that's kind of where, what I wanted you to feel in transition was just get that club a little deeper. And, and that will allow us to kind of get into that a little bit better, you know, impact position here where the handle's a little bit lower. Um, and, but it's not as much shaft lean. Sorry. Let's see if I can. Wow. So that's, here, a, that's a really so, big difference right there. The shaft lean. So here, here's a great example of like why it's so important to be able to measure the club throughout, because we basically saw a cause and effect to be able to measure the club throughout the whole swing is really valuable here because now, now we get to see really what's happening at impact. So now you don't have as much shaft lean. The angle of attack is not so down. Um, in fact, your speed went up about eh, half a mile per hour, roughly. But um, I just don't, I, I'm not a big fan of excessive shaft lean from a steep pattern unless the face is shut like a Victor Hovland or, you know, and you have a mile of rotation. Which um, mine, I do not have a, a strong right. face. Right. I mean, it, I you do have more. rotation, 
But one of the things I like about your golf swing, Smiley, is that you don't have any thrust, like your, your hips turn open and you don't move towards the ball. Um, the handle's down nicely. Um, you know, a seven degree lie difference from start to finish. I mean, that's very good. And so like to me, like if you wanted to get this club, the handle down a little bit more, if we shallowed it even more, in a perfect world, if we got the handle even deeper, then you could kind of throw it a little bit and get even less shaft lean. Now we're launching it higher where it, with, with really good path, and you can really hit all nine shots, you know, anytime you want. But a player like you can do anything. Like I, that's one of the cool things about working with tour players. They literally can do anything you ask them. And if I say, Hey, I need an inch here, or I need, you know, I need you to feel like you throw it a little bit and actually do it. And you can see the results real quick. Amateurs need a little more coaching to help feel that. But that's kind of what's so fun about working with you guys is you can do exactly what I, you know, what we want you to do. And so well, I would I actually like to have this a little bit deeper and maybe even a little bit more shallow even than it is. Um, and but I, I was striping it yesterday. I can tell you that it's starting to already, I'm starting to feel some of those good. Feel that. Yeah. It's starting to get it. And just one question about when I was really struggling in my golf game, uh, one of the things that I, I would be on tee boxes and I never really wanted to hit the ball up in the air. And with my pattern, with somebody that's steep, has some excessive shaft lean, and I guarantee you during when I was playing poorly that it was probably even more um, the case. How often do you see that with players that are struggling that don't really want to get the ball up in the air because maybe they are too steep or whatever the reason? But um, to me, that that's what I was mentally going through was if I wanted to hit the ball up in the air, I could hit it so far right that I was better off just like hitting down on it because at least I can maybe keep it in front of me. So that's a, that's a dead giveaway. And you'll see that in the show here shortly with Rory. Um, if you, if you feel like you're scared to get it up in the air, most, most of the time I see people kind of fearing hooking it like better players. Um, so they feel like, Hey, if I got to launch this thing up in the air, I'm going to have to side bend or tilt way back. And then I get stuck flippy, right? So I feel like if I trap it, I can stay on top of it more. It launches low. But the problem with low launch is that you cannot take advantage of the green. So when you, when you launch the ball too low, you basically are shrinking the green. If you curve it too much, you're shrinking the green this way. If you launch it too low, you're shrinking the green forward to back because the ball doesn't have the stopping power. You can't really get away with that on the PGA Tour. You can get away with that in high school at a soft golf course or in college when you play a soft golf course, but it does not work on the PGA Tour where you're playing these really firm, hard greens. you got to get it up in the air. I mean, you guys hit it really high. And Do you have one of my drivers? It's really hard wings? to control the speed and the distance when you hit it that low. That, that makes total sense. And do you have one of my driver swings? I'm just um, curious if there's – if, if there's a ton of down in my driver swing as well. Basically zero, zero path and 
you know, half a degree. So this is like a nice little cut. But you'll see here because that club is, so if we look at this kind of, this is like, you know, important to kind of look at it from all these different angles. This is a pretty common follow through trace, but the hand path kind of works a little bit out and then it runs out this way. So when the handle starts pushing this way, right now, now you're, mm -hmm. you're kind of, everything starts throwing out here. Now you're, you're really neutral here, which is really nice and clean zero path, but it's really hard to hit, to take advantage of those high launch bombs that Rory gets to hit. So Rory's going to have the shaft behind him a little bit more, or the head behind him here more, a little bit sh more shallow coming down. This transition with him, he lowers it a little bit more, and then he still has this big high up. So you can't really hit up on it, Smiley, with, with this hand pattern. So this, what I'm doing here is tracing your hand handle path. And when the club gets a little bit too steep coming down like this, you really only have one option, and that's to hit a cut. If you were to try to hit a draw from here, what would happen is you would have to basically tilt your upper body way back. Hang back. So you'd have to over tilt and then you would have to over release it. You'd probably keep your right heel down longer. You'd get more stuck. And that's just not the right way to hit a draw, you know, we or, or to hit a high bomb or a high cut. Really, it's like it's just so you kind of lose two ways when you're hitting angle of attack is down. So that's, that's why you feel that way. Like whenever you see angle of attack down, I look at that player and I say, here's somebody that's like kind of um, probably too steep. Um, and he has to, to hit up on it, you know, like they have to back up and then they start hitting it both ways, push blocks or snap hooks and, you know, it's better just to stay on top of it and hit that little low cutter, but you, right. you rob yourself of launch and spin. So, you you know, for example, if, if, if you were able to, for example, get, we didn't say we didn't lift one weight and your club head speed was 115 miles per hour and we didn't change anything. We didn't go lift any weights. We just wanted to hit it farther. One thing we could do is get your angle of attack more up. But if we hit up on it more, your path in this case is going to go more left. So you're actually going to hit more of a cut and you'll launch it higher, but you would have to hit more of a cut if you did that. If we got the handle, if we got this club head behind you a little bit more and the handle a little closer to your body here, then we could hit up on it and we'd have enough club path to still hit up on it and not have it pull away left on you. So I, I, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically from here, I, I have to kind of hit down on it and hit a cut. That's really my only option here for you. And that works. And tour players do it every single day and they win money doing that. So you got to be careful making changes. However, if I were able to get your angle of attack up to, let's say three or four without sacrificing your path, and I would have to lower the loft on your driver to probably seven and a half, you would hit it probably 20 to 25 yards farther without changing your club head speed. 
And for a player Man, like you, that would where pull, you're that would play like, my game back home. You're like <laughs> you're right on this kind of cusp of your ball speed's right in that 170 range, which is kind of like no, that's like that has to be kind of the number. Like if you're gonna play on the PGA Tour and you and you don't have 170 ball speed, you better make every putt you look at and get up and down from everywhere. But if you're at 115 miles per hour, but you launch it really good and you don't spin it, you get a lot, you would actually get more distance. And I would argue like if you could get another 20 yards off the tee, you know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty good bet that, you know, yeah, you give yourself better, I'd better say. chances at it, more looks at it. Well, but again, well, you do a very good job here guys. of not thrusting. You do a very good job of not thrusting here. You're you're positioned perfectly to hit a nice little cutter here. Um, but to answer your question, most people that kind of drag it and hit down on it like you, that's because the club's coming in too steep, and they don't want to back out to try to hit hit up and hit a draw on it. Or to back out of it, well, then you then you introduce two misses, right? Block or snap hook, and that's not that's that 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 will not work. So you're telling me that Rory McIlroy is not he's not steep, he's not <laughs> he's it, to me when I watch him play, he can hit it to the moon. He can hit he can hit a driver as low as he wants to. He can hit it left right. He can hit right left, and it's pretty cool that you have Rory's golf swing on here because it's so cool for me to look at to see like what makes Rory such a good ball striker so I'm going to give you a little peek under the hood here this is kind of a unique um, look at Rory here um, you'll see here that this is an iron swing the driver swings actually even a little bit more so I'm going to tell you what I think his secret sauce is so watch this this, this is his backswing. So what, you, what you're going to see here is that you're going to see him actually do the opposite of what you do, Smiley. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be too it's critical. Okay. I, can, I can handle it. This is actually <laughs> exactly what I want you to feel. So we actually, but this, this number for your listeners, this is what we call side bend. So, or tilt. So for example, if Rory was face on and he didn't have any side bend here, he would just be in straight forward bend. So if he just like with went straight forward bend, you add side bend to get rid of the forward bend. So this is basically how much his torso is tilting. So we're going to look at this really carefully. This is kind of a myth buster. Now, top of his swing, this number is 40. Okay, that's the that's how much side bend his rib cage has. Okay, now watch what happens as he, so he is going to lower this club. Okay, this is going straight down. This is not moving the handle way out here like a lot of people are talking about these days, right? So watch what happens to this number. So top of the swing here, so 40 degrees, right? As he lowers it, he increases his side bend. Whoa. Watch what's happening here. I'm going to explain this best I can. So he's actually staying about the same. 
So what he is doing is he's basically lowering the club from here to here without tilting backwards. I'm gonna give you another look at this. This basically represents the middle of his rib cage. This represents the middle of his torso, the top of the swing. Okay, so all you guys have this in common. Every tour player, we'll get into that later, but every tour player that I have captured, and it's a lot, um, from the top of their swing to left arm parallel, some people call that position five, they actually get their torso on top or in front at left arm parallel. So in this case, Rory is in front of the torso here, right? But back to this. So what mm -hmm. he's going to do yep. is he's going to increase, he's going to basically uh, get that upper body, he's going to recenter, if you will, the torso and the pelvis without tilting. So he's basically keeping his left shoulder down longer. It's not going up, so his right shoulder wouldn't be going it actually down goes in that initial. Down, it actually increases. Now, if you look, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, so that left shoulder so, stays down while the handle's going back. Okay. So here we go. This is the best ball striker, probably, you know, one of the best of all time. He is lowering the club. He is not pushing the handle out here to shallow the club. He is lowering the club, and the club is basically just kind of riding along with it. Now, about right here, about right here in the downswing is where he starts to get rid of that side bend and increase his forward bend. So to, to me, that's the magic the move for Rory. Or to simplify it, the handle goes down without him tilting back. So maybe if you can see me visually here. Sorry, I don't have a lot of room here. He basically lowers the handle without tilting. Or from a face-on view, he lowers the handle without doing this. So he's not trying to get more club path by tilting his upper body back. Does that make sense? Well, well Michael, wouldn't it be normal for a human to think, out of the top, it's like, I want to hit the ball up in the air. So what I'm going to do, let's say somebody has that club depth like you're talking about. And a lot of people try to hit it up in the air from the top. So they start that right shoulder getting low and the left shoulder getting high out of the top. So that's early side bend. And you're telling me that Rory McIlroy does the opposite. He actually increases his the other way. So he's, he's still going down with that shoulder. And then eventually at that at P5, where his left arm is parallel, now we start going back the other way, where we, he can basically just turn and burn, and why that he can hit his driver so hard. I know this is an iron here, but right. So here, here we go. So remember your your club. So if we look at Rory yep. from, you know, That's so this is why 3D is kind of cool because, like for example, if he was aiming over left, then it would appear like the club. So let's say he was aiming left, then it would appear like the club is more behind him or if he was aiming right, it would look like the club's more out in front of him. So being able mm -hmm. to actually get this piece dialed is super important. But with the handle down and in like this, okay, most people that try to keep the handle, there's an argument to be made that if you lower the handle, then you're going to side bend too early. 
that's basically what everybody's saying that that's causing stuck flippers, right? Which, yeah, if you did that too much, yes. But he is so, the handle's so low and shallow here, he literally can hit any shot from here. So Smiley, in your world, like if we were to get your handle, if I were to put you, can you see my mouse move here, Smiley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if I were to move your handle, your hands are about right here. If I were to move your hands in just a little bit, and I want to get this club a little more behind you, then you would have enough path to turn hard if you want to hit a cut, or naturally you would just rotate as fast as you wanted to to hit a cut. That would slow the closure down, more rotation, less flipping. Or you could kind of release it and hit a nice push draw without mm -hmm. tilting too much. So again, we get back to Rory at impact. He's got 26 tilt, but he's got all that turn with it, right? So he's got more turn than tilt, just like you. All these guys, all you guys, you match these up so beautifully. Um, and, and you basically have to match these up, you, you know, if you want to play high-level golf. Um, I, I'm, I'm at a tournament right now, and there's, there's a kid – that's like has like 28 turn but 12 12 turn and like 28 tilt and his shoulders are shrugging like this and he's getting no torso mm -hmm. rotation and he's hitting it everywhere and he's trying to basically hit draws when you can't hit a draw stuck draws right nobody hits stuck drop nobody hits steep draws so he's kind of steep and he's trying to hit this draw and it's stalling him out making him raise here runs out of room Got to flip at it. And so, Michael, and so is that's this one of the that, you do this is this so one of well. the first things you look at when you're when you're helping someone out when you're trying to dissect? Okay, why is somebody struggling? So this is this this side tilt and 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 what's the thing below the chin again? That's uh, the, the this pink is, numbers. This is rib cage. That's the center of your rib cage. So I'm looking at this. That's a great question, Smiley. So I want I want basically I'm looking at. I'm looking at the club face first. I want to see how the player is moving the club face around. So I'm actually watching the face in transition. Most amateurs are opening the face at this point in the downswing. Um, and then they have to basically stall to close it. It's too steep. So I'm just kind of watching the face, the journey of the face. The face is the only thing that's going to touch the golf ball. I really want to see how the player is manipulating the face. So this all looks clean to me, right? I'm looking for last parallel. I want to see that rib cage almost zero. That's super important. Average amateur is about 10 degrees closed here. Wow, so 10 degrees closed. Cage, if you look from above, their rib cage is still pointing wherever here. His rib cage is, you know, basically zero. I'm also looking at turns of the pelvis. Like you'll see at the top, Rory's. Rory, the top of his swing is at 38. Women, LPGA really struggles with this. Um, I, I see this very common problem where LPGAers get too much hip turn, and then they can't get back to the ball. But if you see like Rory here, like you at the top, he's right. You're about the same as Rory here, 38, 39, somewhere in there. And then at impact, he's got more turn than he did in the at the top of his swing. So most. Most amateurs actually turn more in the backswing and then they don't turn enough on the downswing, mostly because the club is out of position. It's coming down too steep and they have to stop turning to allow the face to close. So 
that's kind of what I, that's how I, that's my journey of how I analyze this. But I also know because he can turn, he's got enough path now that he can turn as hard as he wants without the club path getting way out of control. And he's only going to be hitting five and a half down here. I mean, wow, so that's know, five and a half really down. This is a seven iron? Well, yeah, it's like perfect. You know, oh, that's wow. why he can and hit I was it like, so first I was high. like nine down. <laughs> yeah, that's why Rory that's... can hit it so high, right? He doesn't have to have excessive shaft lean. If he wants to hit a draw, he'll probably put it back in his stance, you know, and widen his stance a little bit. When he wants to hit a cut, he'll put it forward. He can literally call everybody from the phone book from here because of that initial trend. So that's why I call everybody from the phone book. So to me, this is, this is the secret to, to really where I, I consider like these elite ball strikers, you know, just guys that cry, like, you know, you're right. You're close in there, even though you're not playing a lot of golf right now. I mean, you have a lot of great stuff going on, but this initial transition move lowers and sh- without the club tilting way back and without the side bend tilting back, way back. Does that make sense? So I, I, I want to basically recenter my upper and lower without the club getting too steep. Does that make sense? Can you, can you humor me and put myself next to Rory? Is that a possibility or no? Okay, so basically, Smiley, what, the benefit of having that kind of more shallow move right here because you were coming down a little bit steep, you need a more shaft lane to keep the club from going way left. So like here you have, you know, an impact, you have about 10, 10 degrees of shaft lane. Rory has about eight. Um, and wow. so that's the problem with getting a little too steep is that you have to lean the shaft to keep the path from going way left. Or if you want to be like Brooks Kepka and be kind of steep, you can just hit cuts. And that, but that's he's got kind a strong the, face. He's got you got to have like a Victor Hovland, right? Those guys all kind of have shut faces, you know. So those guys that are steep, like Camp Smith or Rory or Victor, you know, they're a little on the steep side. They're all kind of shut, but they can pretty DJ. A great example of that. They can kind of only hit cuts. They should never try to hit draws just because they'd have to stall out, you know, and hit that. But this is where I'm trying to compare you. I don't want a lot of shaft lean because that lowers the loft, you know, and, and it, it, the only way you can get it up in the air at this point is for you to basically tilt back or to throw it earlier. That would throw make the path yeah, go just more throw left. the crap out of it. <laughs> right. That'd make your path go way more left. So again, I, I come back to that same kind of thing where if we could, if we could with you, if we could get this club to kind of lay down a little bit and kind of lower without the tilt, we get that angle of attack yours down to, you know, six and a half or seven, even like that. And without moving your path, I mean, I, I think that would just be huge for you. So I'm glad to see that well, you're having some results there. Definitely seen some early results and man, it's cool to look at Rory's swing. Under the hood, I think he's driving a nice car based on what I'm seeing here. Uh, <laughs> but there's yeah, other there's players too that we want to get to, and and Cam yeah. Smith would be the next, and he's a player that you just mentioned being a little on the steep side, struggled with the driver, and the fix that y'all made by this gear system helped him win five times, win the Open Championship. 
So there was something that y'all found with Cam Smith's driver, and, and what was it? Okay, so Cam does not – he is not a feel – or he is not a technical person. Um, he is a – as you can kind of tell from how good his short game, he is not a – he is not a player that likes technical swing thoughts. He's, he just, and so after the masters last year, he basically lost that tournament because of his driver. And um, if, you know, and, and statistically cam was like 140th in driving, but he, you know, he's one of the top 10 players in the world. So he's elite from basically you know, his seven wood is the best. I've never seen anybody at a seven wood as good as he did. So about seven wood through lob wedge, Cam Smith is as good as anybody. But that driver's really giving him some bugaboo. And so when I first met him, his coach, Grant Field, is like a just absolute gem of a guy. He's like, man, I, is there any way we can measure this? We got to we gotta figure out driver. And so... Cam kept saying, hey, I want to hit a draw. I have to be able to hit a draw. Like on number 10, I don't know where it's going. I stand up on that tee, and he literally looked at me and he's just like, Pfft. you know, I have, he's like, I have no idea where it's going on 10. Blocks, snap hooks. So anytime he tries to hit on a right to left hole and he tries to hit a draw, that is where he is really struggling. And I did some research, and I figured out on left to right holes, He's like, and he hits a perfect little cut. His his little cutter is so freaking good. Um, but on left to right holes, he was like 35th, 36th at the time in accuracy. And on right to left holes, he was like off the freaking golf court, like not even on the chart. It was so bad. So if you kind of look at his golf swing, so my job is to like help him without giving him any swing thoughts. So my hands were really tied here. Like, I'm not allowed to change the grip. I'm not allowed to change. Graham's like, I just want you to take a capture and show me what you think. If you kind of look cam here, little shut coming back, okay? Then he starts to really bow the left wrist, right? So it, it it's not wow. super bowed here, but that. right here is where he really starts to flex that. You can kind of see that, you know, a little bit. Yeah, here. I've never noticed that. Right? It's a pretty shut. Right. Now, so that happens a little bit late in his backswing. And then his right elbow folds a lot and he gets that club really shut and across the line. Okay. Now, this position, every human being that does this, like DJ or, you know, maybe even Brooks a little bit, they hit cut, you know. David Duvall, maybe a little bit, something like that. They all hit cuts from here. Everybody can hit a cut from here. If you were to try to hit a draw from here, like literally Cam Smith is thinking to himself, I got to hit a draw. The face is already shut. The club is laid off. So it basically reroutes beautifully, super, like the hand path is pushing out. The club's nice and shallow here. The face is pretty closed-ish, you know, coming in. So what would Cam Smith have to do here to hit a a draw? He would have to basically tilt upper body back, and he would have to release it. 
but you can see from right here, this is his really good move. He just turns the corner super hard, just releases it super hard. So this is his follow through this line. How right pretty here. is that? So good, right? So he's, he's in a position like the club really lays down nice because it's across the line and it comes straight down. The handle comes this initial move, a little bit like Rory, comes down straight beautifully like this. Then it's going to start to push out. This is where the club's going to start to get steep in here. Somewhere about right in here is where the handle's going to start to get steep. And then he just freaking rounds that corner like a mofo, right? Just beautiful. So here's face on. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns, he has more rib cage turn that last parallel. Well, he than has to because the face is shut. Exactly, right? Right. He has he's that got, shaft he's got to keep turning. Got to keep turning. And he's got to have some shaft lean here. So these are not things that I love, but if you're going to be shut, that's what you have to do. If you want to play this game at any, if you want to make $1 playing this game, and you're shut, you have to basically hit a cut, and you have to lean the shaft a lot here. So this is a very low closure rate, um, perfect little cutter here. So what he did was he's like, I got to hit a draw. I'm on the 18th at Sawgrass. You know, I am so freaking scared of that shot, I can't even tell you. Like, I have to, if I hit a cut, I'm in the trees. If I turn it over, I can, I, you know, he's like, I don't even know what no to do. No player on wants that. to start it over the middle of that water. I can tell you. That. Right. <laughs> no, mean, no cutter like, like starting okay, over I'll... the middle of that water. But let me tell you something. He knows that if he pumps it into those trees right and chips out, he's got a very good chance of getting up and down from 70 yards. Like he's very confident in that. So he's, he's like, I'll just pump it in the trees right, chip out, and get up and down for par. Like that's how confident he is in his short game. So basically, my job, I, okay, so I can't fix his grip. I can't change the wrist conditions. I can't open the face. My hands are tiny. Like I have to hit a draw here. So I'm like, well, I don't think you should hit a draw here. I don't think you should hit draw anywhere, ever. Now, his three wood doesn't do this. His three wood looks more like this, and the, the face is not as shut. So he's like, I can mm. hit my three wood. I can turn my three wood over, but I, you know, whenever he tries to hit it harder, it gets longer and more shut. So where I where I went with him was I said, okay, let's see if we can do something product-wise to, to do this. So he plays a – now this is – so now I, I'm putting my club fitting hat on almost. You can see how much the shaft droops. So what players do you mean by that droop? have what – What is the word – what does that mean, droop? So this is the shaft moving downward like that. That's how much drooping it does. Okay. So because he's trying to push the handle, he's forcing the handle kind of up here, it's causing a lot of shaft droop. So what that shaft droop does is it actually opens the face. This is a blue, a Ventus blue board. And so if I wanted this ball to hook more without changing anything, I would want to stiffen the shaft. I would not want this to droop as much. So if you can kind of look at this number right here, this is 70 millimeters of shaft droop gears. We are the only product in the world that measures all three axes of the shaft, how much it droops, twists, and deflects. So the shaft is having a tug of war the whole way down, the whole swing. It's basically, 
if you push this way, it's going to pull that way. And if you twist this, it's going to do that. If you raise it, it's going to droop. So it's a t constant tug of war. So he is a high droop guy. Brooks Kepka is a high droop guy. Dustin Johnson's high droop. All these guys that are kind of shut and hit cuts and kind of, they have this high droop factor. So this is how much the shaft is twisting. Basically only one degree, one and a half degrees here. Because it's drooping so much, it won't twist as much. So the softer the shaft, this is totally against what the industry is saying. Everybody says, oh, if I go softer, I can turn it over more. Well, yeah. that's not technically true because the softer the shaft gets, the longer it gets, the, actually the shaft droops more and that opens the face. The line flattens and that opens the face. So cam actually needs that to happen. Now, so I said, okay, well, we're going to hit the same exact shot, but I'm going to put a blackboard in there. I'm going to put something tighter in here. Again, my hands are tied because I can't give them a lesson. So basically, this is what happened. That's less droop. So less droop, right? So stiffer shaft, less droop. So the shaft droop went to 43, and the shaft twist went to negative 5. So he started drawing this thing, and he was like, dude, I did it. I can hit a draw. And he literally picked up a bag, <laughs> ran to the eight. We, this was at Sawgrass, ran to the 18th hole at Sawgrass. And he's like, I got to go hit this. And he's like, this is so good. I can draw it. And I'm like, all right, well, now let's see you hit a cut. You know, because I'm, what, what are you? Yeah, well, like, that's, really his, that's his butter, right? Cut, right. So he's like, okay, well, I can't cut it that good now. Even though he's hitting it in the middle. But the shaft is now staying with the grip more, and he, 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 it's basically going straight, and he can't cut it. So this is a long way of trying to explain this, but basically um, we did this exercise to show him that you're not allowed to hit draws anymore. You know, like <laughs> if you have a 500-yard par 4 right-to-left hole, you're not allowed to hit driver. You're hit three wood because you can hit three wood straight and lean on your best part of your game, which is your mid to short irons, right? I mean, so at 10 at Augusta, if he hits three wood, he has a seven iron in versus a wedge if he hits driver. So he really wants that wedge in at 10, but it's like, look, dude, I mean, I'd rather be in the fairway with a seven iron than take a chance on maybe getting a chance to have a wedge or nine iron, right? So like that mentality with him, what we did with him was basically said, look, you can't, you're not allowed to hit draws anymore. Um, if you have to use a three wood and we're just going to hit cuts left or right. So next week was the two weeks later was the PGA championship. He, um, the masters, I think he was like negative three or four shots gained off the tee and was like 140th or 103rd. So it was like almost dead last in driving at the Masters. Two weeks later, he was eighth in driving at the PGA Championship. And he was oh, plus, wow. gain, plus yardage gain for the first time. And we didn't change one thing other than no draws. Can't try to draw it. If you have to draw one, you hit a three wood. And then he had the worst putting week of his life at that tournament, best driving week of his life. So he basically had two weeks, you know, just goes like complete opposites. Flip flops. 
but then he wins. He went, you know, he didn't go below 50th and, and shots, uh, shots gained off the tee. Um, and he won five times last year, you know, I mean, he won the British open and he, I think he was 35th in driving at the British, um, a lot of three woods off the tee and just lean on what he's best at. So I'm sorry it took so long to kind of explain that journey, but that's a no, good example of like fascinating. He, great player trying to do something that no human should do. I would have to, it would be like telling Dustin Johnson to start hitting draws or I'd have to say, Hey, Dustin Johnson, yeah. if, if you want to start hitting a draw, I'm going to, we're going to get rid of the flex in your wrist and we're going to start to release it. It'd probably ruin his career. He'd never make a cut again. And you know, he'd show up at your door with a shotgun. Right. I mean, so like this is Cam Smith it's who he is. Changing this would be totally like heart surgery for him. It would be so invasive. It could ruin his career. Now, if he was 16 years and old and doing that, this, I would change it, but not now. And I think this is why Gears is so good. And from a player's side, so often when you can't hit a shot or you're looking to make a change, you go to a new swing coach and they alter at times, like you said, you weren't allowed to make a change. So nothing to what he knows about his golf swing. But with Cam Smith, as a player, when you're on the 18th hole at TBC Sawgrass or on the 10th hole at Augusta, and you feel like you can't hit a draw, and and you feel like that's the reason that, like, this is holding me back from being, you know, one of the best players in the world. And that eats at you as a as a top player because – you play with, uh, you know, a Justin Thomas or a Scotty Scheffler that have no problem turning it right to left or left to right. So you're thinking, man, they got a leg up on me. And I think this exercise here shows that, OK, Cam Smith found out I can hit a draw on that hole with a different shaft. But what it does, it takes away what I'm really good at, which is fading the golf ball with the driver. So the what you were able to figure out with his left to right holes being around 30th with the driver and then going to the right to left holes and he's way out of there, but he's still, like you said, looking at his swing with the three wooded shorter, less shot and he could turn over a dry or a three wood. That to me was like problem solved. And, and, and so often in golf, we make things so complicated and people that are watching now think all of the numbers and stuff may be complicated. But what Michael, you were able to sort through is that the data helped you helped a player realize it, it's, a, it's as simple as this. It's, it's black and white here. It's not as complicated as you might think. Yeah, I mean, we need to simplify it, this, this game as much as possible. And, you know, gear seems like this huge technical thing. And look at all these freaking numbers. I mean, I got, I got more data on him than anyone ever has, ever. Not even close. I've got terabytes of data on Cam Smith. I'm literally capturing like 800 frames you know, so cool. on this golf swing, there's, you know, I, I'm, I have more data than we need to do, but my job is to simplify things for him. He's not a technical guy. So I've got to find a way to give him something that he can go play with. But what happens is, is the more data I have, the more I can make an informed decision on, Hey, look, okay, well, that's not going to work or that's not going to work. Okay. That is going to work. And I can get to that point very quickly with gears and then I can visually show the player too, which is what he loves so much. You know, he's 
I, I'm right. I'm on his team now as the 3D specialist, and he just loves gears. And we just designed this cool, you know, short game tool aid that matches how he chips. And I can't wait to show that. That's so crazy. But like, Ooh, I want to see it. So good, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't wait. He's, You're gonna love this thing. So but good. It's filthy. It is filthy how he does it. So. That's that's to your point. What I'm trying to do is, even though this is a very technologically advanced system, it's very detailed. There's so much going on. What it what it really does is simplifies things. It allows us to kind of it, it answers that why question that I, that has been troubling me so much. Now there's more questions that I have that I want more data on, but I do have enough to really now I. He's, I can. I know. I know that my data is very clean and it's very accurate, so I can make informed decisions on it. And so that, again, that, that's that's going to help you. You'll see this here in a little bit. With um, who's our next one that you want? You want to see? Yeah. No, I was about to say. So we're uh, we're going to get to our next player, which is Billy Horschel. And so we've looked at my swing, a player who uh, I've struggled with uh, control of the golf ball had a right miss and as well as a left miss. And, and then we got to see Rory side by side with myself and see why he's so good and what makes him so unique. And now we see Cam Smith, a guy who has a very unique swing and, and y'all made an informed decision with gears to not really change anything, but just give him more clarity in his golf game. And, and now we get to Billy Horschel. Here's a guy who struggled this year on social media talking about, um, how hard he's working, but is not getting the results. And I remember talking to Todd Anderson about his his game, and and what he had said was like, "Man, buddy, Billy, it looks everything looks good to me. Like there's nothing on video that 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 looks too off to me." But he's a guy that is a fader of the ball and was not able to hit a fade. And y'all were able to to make a change for Billy just by looking at maybe his lie angles. Is that correct? Yeah, so I mean, you go through the decision tree, right? So, okay, here's a guy that wants to hit a cut, and first of all, he's such a cool dude, and Todd is such a good coach. He deserves yes. everything, every accolade he's got. He's such a good coach, and Billy's such a good guy. I mean, I really like, genuinely like him, and he was so cool to me. Um, but like, I mean, he he's like kind of like gets to that. There's a few players that have come to me like, dude, I'll do anything you tell me to do. I can't figure it out. I don't know. It's killing me. And that's Billy. And so, and Todd's like, dude, I feel like I'm making this. I'm, am I, what am I missing? You know, like I'm feel like I'm doing my job here. So let's kind of roll through Billy's move here. So handle out a little bit or uh, head out of the hands, last parallel club face is nice and clean, a little laid off here. That first move again, that kind of lowers, and now it's going to start to move out here. And again, that's a little bit like you, you know, where we get that handle starting to right. push out, and the club is not really laying down. So that's this is kind of proof that just because you push your handle out this way doesn't mean that it's going to shallow the club. It can, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. It doesn't guarantee it. That's. So a lot of people are teaching that, hey, if I just push the handle out here, it will lower. It can lower. It doesn't guarantee that it will lower, but, it, you know, I mean, it's one way to shallow it, but then you got to shut the face pretty hard. 
But here we got a kind of a steeper player here, right? A little bit like you. Club gets out a little bit. He plays a cut. Nice impact position, right? So here's here's Billy at impact. All right, put him back here just a second. What? No, my mouse. I lost my mouse here for a second. Sorry. No, oh, good. So here's impact. I mean, this is a really nice golf swing. There's a lot of stuff he does. He has negative, uh, negative thrust, not a lot of sway, um, lots of rotation. He matches all the tilts, everything that I like to look at. And then I come down here. And I see the lie angle at impact is two and a half, 2.13 degrees upright. So again, that's the face angle. So the lie angle is the face angle. So, you know, the, the face angle can do this and it can do this. So it, you know, it, it can open by toe down or it can open by leading edge opening. Um, there's right. a lot of, it's a tug of war. I mean, it's, it's moving in three directions nonstop. So in this case, we've got, um, sorry, let me turn this on and off here again. I got to get this mouse working. No, maybe not. Okay, so basically, I asked him the question. So, so this is, he didn't tell me, um, he did not tell me that I was having, I'm having a hard time cutting my wedges or my, eight and nine iron. He did not tell me that I had to actually fish that out of him. Really? And he's, and I, really? and I, so this was a seven iron and he's hitting it off the heel. You kind of see here the, I see the heel know, hit. I mean, it's dangerously close. Right? To the, so I mean, he's basically living on here. So he's losing, getting some gearing effect and losing ball speed. It's a nice pattern. Oh, it's just, all the, all of know, the hits are right there on the heel. Where it needs to be. Right. So this yeah. is one of the things that I saw, like whenever you see this heel shot, that's a guy that's trying, you know, probably not to hook it. Like, you know, so I'm, you kind of move, you know, handles moving out a little bit. He's not thrusting. He's at negative pelvis thrust. And so it's got to be like, like what's, what the heck is going on here? Like, so I asked him, I was like, are you having a hard time cutting your mid to low irons? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know? I said, well, let me ask you another question. Are you able to hit your four iron good? Three iron, four iron good. It's like, bro, it's my best club in my bag. I'm like, huh. Okay. That's How unusual for a guy that's struggling. <laughs> the best club in your bag. Like, he's like, I'd rather hit a four iron right now than a wedge. So that's a red flag. Like, I immediately knew that. And, and so, and he's like, you know, now that I think about it, so I had to drill down into some questions for him, for him to pull, to pull this out of him. So asking the right questions was really a key here. So I, he's like, I was like, actually, now that I think about it, and he had just gone from Titleist to PXG back to Titleist. So that's another red flag. So he's gone through three freaking, like a lot of different sets of clubs. And he's like, oh, they matched them all up. They, you know, they know all the specs and they, they know my specs all the time. Like, look, I'm sorry, you, you know, it's too hard for the shaft manufacturers to make the same shaft over and over again. It's too hard. So I actually don't trust that at all. I don't trust it. We have to measure it, you know. So 
in this case, I'm like, okay, well, do you hit your driver good? He's like, you know what? Actually, I'm driving it pretty good. I'm like, it's a cut, right? And he's like, yeah, it's a cut. And like, are you ever kind of hitting it left? He's like, you know, actually, now that I think about it, I'm hitting my driver pretty damn good. And then I asked Todd, his coach, he's like, yeah, dude, driver's great. So I'm like, okay. So now we've eliminated driver, three wood, four iron. And I'm like, okay, so what about eight iron, nine iron? And he's like, I, 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 are they cutting? And he's like, actually, I am not able to cut a nine iron to save my life. So it actually, had, I had to drill down to get to that. I'm like, well, here's, here's what I think the issue is. So with an eight iron, if the club on a robot, if the club's two degrees upright, um, on a robot and the path is face path is zero and, and the line upright. That's actually going to hook about 10, 12 feet. So three, three and a half yards. Yeah. So this club, this shot, the ball's going to, he's got, this ball didn't, didn't hook because he hit it in the heel and he got some gearing effect. But when he hits it in the middle, it's like, so if I flatten this golf club two degrees, I'm going to move these a little bit more towards the middle. Now I can kind of release it, not hang on to it without hooking. So now you can kind of let her rip and it's not going to hook. And so basically the moral of the story is, is that the longer the club gets smiley, the longer the club gets, the more it droops. So that's why his forearm works and his wedge doesn't. So even though the mm. sticker on the shaft says X100 on all of the clubs, they're not all X100s. And if you wanted to even do this test, you could on a shaft frequency monitor, just measure the shaft frequency of a forearm and do the same on a pitching wedge. And you're going to find that the pitching wedge is always stiffer than the forearm and the forearm is longer. So the forearm droops about four to five degrees more than a pitching wedge does on a robot. So that's kind of how I figured this out was, okay, well, he's trying to hit a cut, but the club is really upright. It's draw bias. And that's why his foreiron works because the shaft's drooping more and the face is opening more and it's cutting. So I said, after four swings, I have, dude, we need to bend all your golf clubs to 60 degrees. Just, and your foreiron right now is 60 degrees, bend everything to 60 degrees. Wow. So what he, was it at? Was it at like 64 was, or something like that? This was the day before the, this was the day before the U.S. Open. So this was two weeks after his, his kind of meltdown on social media, we got him on, you know, which I totally found very authentic and cool, but like, you know, so this was the date, this is the Tuesday of the British open in Los Angeles. We filmed him at, at Brentwood country club. So basically um, I said, what I want you to do is go to the tour truck and have all your clubs bent to 60. And the reason I call this the nipper curve, nipper curves, my nickname, basically it, Instead of a, a your typical wedge, your typical set of irons from the pitching wedge is 64 degrees and your four irons about 59. So there's about a five degree difference in lie angle between your four iron and your pitching wedge. So to compensate, now he's hitting his he's hitting his four iron perfect, which was right around 60. So that's the number, like that was his number. So now I know that if I flatten everything else to 60, all of his clubs to 60 that will compensate for the shaft droop. 
or the lack thereof with the wedges. So the wedges don't droop as much, therefore they need to be flatter. The long irons droop more, so they need to be more upright. So you basically end up kind of bending the lie angles to match or to compensate for the amount of shaft droop. Wow. And that's, that's wow. something that we measure very accurately. We do it on robot testing, phantom cameras, like you cannot get you cannot get more accurate data on this than with gears. And so literally like that afternoon, he runs out, instead of bending them, they just build them a new set of irons. So he played that week and he made the cut and um, he's Listen, like- Listen, making the cut, the making the cut after what he was going through at a US you know, Open is- He missed is... five straight cuts, right? And then a couple of weeks later at the Wyndham, he almost won, right? I mean, he, you know, he was right, he was leading after day three. The statistics though really beg that out. And what what the goal with with him was like, look, dude, you're doing everything you need to do. I don't there's he doesn't you can see here he doesn't have a lot of sway, he doesn't have a lot of thrust, he doesn't have a lot of um uh, uh, uh um yeah, he doesn't have a lot of pelvis thrust. He doesn't have a lot. Of, he he land like this surfing thing, like I was telling you about. He does this perfectly, right? That you know he centers up nicely. The club's a little bit on the steep side, but not too steep. You know the handle's out here a little bit, but the club's shallowing just a smidge, right? And that's gonna but but that's gonna he's gonna get rid of that fast here. So it's a cut pattern all day long. So basically, all we did was we basically flattened his lower irons and now he's hitting these high cuts and like lights out right he's such a good putter and drove it great that week hit it great and his putter just left him on uh, at Wyndham so I mean he had a chance to actually win that tournament he was one shot back wow. coming into the last last hole and he had a chance to win that tournament without putting good but statistically he was like tee to green that week he was like fifth I think and like his putting was last day putting was bad, but like putting was really good, but like he hit it great that week. So, and he didn't miss any cuts after, after this. So this is a really good example of like, in this case, it was a club fitting issue, but we needed to look at the whole body and the whole mechanics to kind of, you know, find that conclusion. I mean, that's, that's incredible stuff. And I know how hard Billy was working. I saw him week in, week out. And oh, yeah. similar to like Cam Smith, where it's like, I can't hit a draw. And when you're on the range beating balls and you can't hit a fade with a nine iron, any, I mean, like you said, it's a huge red flag. But when a player, especially with a nine iron, nine iron is a very easy club for a high tour player to be able to hit shots, manipulate, because the shaft's not as long. It's easier to hit some shots. You can, yeah. even with just some hands of manipulation and the fact that he could not hit a fade, like you said, huge red flag. And I, when I look at all of these examples, I think, you know, it's, it's a good mix of, Hey, here's something that you can change in your golf swing to help out that gears can help you with. Here's why somebody is unbelievable what they do with Rory. And then you have Cam Smith with the driver where you're able to kind of tell, Hey, this is, we can change the drooping of the shaft for you to help hit a draw, but you come to the realization, he's like, you know what? I'm pretty good at hitting a fade, which just turn over the three wood. And then Billy Horschel, you're at the end, just changing, changing our flattening is some clubs out there at the bottom of his set. Now he's able to hit a fade, but 
it's a pretty dang cool system. And I, I think the last it, question. It's a real test. That, Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, just the last question I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that have watched all this that are just fascinated by all the data, but in all of your years and in, in all the data that you've recovered, what would you say is the biggest issue or just things that you can't do in a golf swing to be any good at all? So what are some things that, whether it's a good player, bad player, what's the thing that you've picked up on the most that you just cannot do in your golf swing? Okay, I'm going to give you three because um, I, I don't want to – I can give you a lot, but there's some things that I call non-negotiable, like things that are like – that I don't see any tour players doing. The thing about – that I have figured out is nobody does anything the same. It, you know, there's no scenario where, oh, all tour players do this. They all do, You cannot say that empirically uh, That's because it's not – it's not true. I mean, every every player has their own footprint, um, and but but there are some things that there's windows of success, like corridors of success. I've heard it called before, windows of success that I think all players have in common that most amateurs struggle with. First of all, I'm going to show you this one from above. So this right here is you're seeing is the trace of of Billy Horschel's pelvis. But I'm actually going to bring up the tour average so that you can kind of see. So I've created a tour average. Basically, it's always in flux because every time we capture another player, we have to update that. Okay. So basically, if you see, um, if you kind of look, sorry about that. Let's make it just right. Okay. So this is basically the pelvis trace right here of the average tour player. So you see that they don't sway off the ball a lot with the pelvis. Mm. And they don't move that that dot, that this guy right here, they don't move this towards the ball. Okay? And you'll see it impact. He has negative thrust. So if I were to put up this cool visual tool, of it's around here somewhere vertical plane from behind you can see that the butt basically at every this is the average tour player right and the deviation is very low on this meaning that it's only about an inch and a half so there are a couple of tour players that have a like a quarter of an inch of thrust and some have more negative thrust but on average, they're actually negative thrust. So basically, the butt doesn't come off the wall. How about that? Is that a good visual for you? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great yeah. visual. Scotty Scheffler is like the anti-thruster. Right. If, if there's, if there's right. like a prime exactly. example of somebody that doesn't that's thrust. That's a great example. That's a great example. Um, so that's basically the one thing that's non-negotiable. So the other thing that I noticed is that Amateur tour players stand really close to it. Amateurs stand far away from it. So a tour player will stand really close to it and they'll actually move. They'll actually move away from the ball. Like tour. So everything's moving be, you know, this direction. Okay. Other thing that I see at tour amateurs really struggle with is this transitional move right here. Um, and this is, 
almost non-negotiable. We have to have this hand path pretty, we have to get this thing working downward without tilting. You know, this little move right I mean, here. Your right, or shoulder, we, right shoulder going down, left shoulder going up. Yeah, or this this move right here at, at the top of the swing. So basically pretty centered right here. But that first move, every tour player does this. Now, they all do it a little bit differently, not exactly the same, but at left arm parallel, every tour player in my database gets the upper body, the rib cage, in front of the torso at last parallel. So to me, average amateur will actually move off the ball and they won't actually load into it. They'll basically, this, this first move, the head, the, the upper body actually hangs back here. The club path gets out, and then they have to stand up and early extend, you know, to hit it. So that's why you see all these kind of early extenders and tons of thrust. So that's a good example of somebody that's, that's non-negotiable in my book. And then... Um, the other thing is that I really want the club coming in pretty close to zero. The lie angle, the club is engineered to come in at, at a zero lie angle. And when the club's toe down or upright, um, you're, that's really, you're having, you're going to have to manipulate the face and you're going to have to stop your body rotation um, to do that. This number is also very important. This is where the handle starts. So if we take it from the beginning, so this club is 8.93 degrees toe up, and then at impact, it's basically 7.7 .7 degrees toe up. The difference between start and landing is only about 8 degrees on average. Um, one of your close friends is, had a pretty big number there. Um, most tour players are right in this number. Bryson is zero here. He has the lowest number because he starts really high and he lands really high. And there's an argument to be made for that. That's actually, that's actually a very, one of the reasons why he's so accurate. You know, this is kind of before he started, you know, shallow, you know, getting that big push draw. But um, when we first captured him, you know, never seen anybody. It was like a robot. Never seen anybody had a ball so straight in my life. Um, <laughs> but that, that, that number is also important. Um, and then one last thing is, I mean, there's a lot of important things, but this is really important also is just matching up, matching up rib cage turn and side bend. Oh yeah. We saw that with Rory. This is super important. Like that initial transition recentering on the downswing without excessive side bend is really a big deal. All tour players do that. They turn more, they tilt less. They don't thrust, and um, younger players struggle with this a lot of times because the clubs are too long for them, so they run out of room, and they have to stand up and stall out, and they're learning these horrible habits at a young age. I think it's a real problem. So long clubs that everybody's trying to bury us in these days is like, that's, if you can't hear it in the sound of my voice, it's like, I freaking hate long golf clubs. And I mean, unless you're like T-Rex and you have, you know, your arms are really short, but I mean, it just, it, there's really no reason to do that. And it just causes all sorts of problems. 
And if you need a really long upright club, you really need a lesson first. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I think this, this is an incredible, just, I mean, I feel like we've kind of got a, a, a glimpse of how great this gear system is and all the different things that you've accumulated over the years, as far as just swings and things you've picked up on and yeah. to get to look at these, some of these swings and, and some of these stories of, of how tour players, you know, they've been able to find their games again. And heck, I could be me next. I, I might be the next guy where it's like, you know what? Gears really changed my outlook on the game of golf. And, um, it's, it's an incredible system you have, Michael. And I, I, I hope that it continues to help not only pros, but amateurs that are listening, that they come and stop by and, and find a gears near them to where they can get a lesson and, and figure out, you know what, maybe it was just, it just was my golf clubs were too upright, or maybe it was the shaft and, or maybe it is just one thing I can find in my golf swing. But overall, I think it's an, an incredible tool for a player to use it just, even if you're hitting it good, because eventually in golf, you're going to eventually start hitting it bad and something goes off and you have a swing capture that of you hitting it good. It's like, well, you know what? Side by side, this is what it looks like. And this is what you're doing different. So, uh, so many great tools, Michael, and I appreciate you so much for coming on. And this has just been, uh, it's been a pleasure. And as somebody who's a kind of a golf nerd now, uh, going to so many different golf, uh, teachers and learning so much about the swing, it's fascinating to me. And I, I appreciate you so much for, uh, spending, spending all this time, just walking us through it all. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share gears with you. I mean, just to be able to have body and club at the same time is such a huge thing. That's really what we do best. And it's just that, that big why question that good players, bad players, beginners just struggle with, you know, we're really good at explaining that. And we'd encourage all your listeners to go online and, and find one of our locations, check it out or, you know, and smiley anytime you want to get captured or any of your friends or your, I want to get your brother on here. Yeah, my brother wants yeah. to get on. He's yeah. he's yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> he's Mr. Two Way Miss. <laughs> I'm totally honored to even have this conversation with you, and just thank you for your time. And you know, let's let's keep digging. Let's keep finding out stuff. Let's figure it out. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate it again, Michael. And you hear it here, folks. Go check it out. Uh, it's it's this is just an awesome tool and. And hopefully get to see Michael along the way because he's he's a very intelligent guy. And and uh, as you heard here today, it's been a fun conversation and and look forward to I the got next a 13 time, on the ACT, bro. I'm not that smart. <laughs> I don't know. But hey, there's there's golf smart, though. So that's that that has to I'm, mean something. I'm not right? too proud. I'm not too proud to say how bad of a student I was. So, you know, but hey, there's lots of <laughs> lots of ways to learn. But thank you. Well, so you much, had me Kyle. fooled. You had me fooled. Thanks again, Michael. <laughs> All right. Thanks. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.